0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
1: Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles,
0: 102.3 FM Riverside,
1: and 105.0 AM Palm Springs.
2: Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and uh, today we're going inside writing again. Doing that a lot. Um, joining me as co-host is uh, David North Martino. <laughs> Hi,
1: Adam. I, yeah. I just
2: want to. I just want to say, David Martini. Where's my martini? Okay, <laughs> I'm making cocktails right now as we speak. Good, good. We're running behind here. We, we need a drink. Um, <laughs> if you go to go to Florida, they have already had their drink. So, um, absolutely, I tell you, I tell you, I can't, I just can't get over the world. It's just crazy, um, but it's good. <laughs> Makes me laugh. As long as I'm away from it, it's okay. Um, now uh, today we've got uh, an inspiring book. We've got um, a great writer who's uh, uh, written a book called "Following Nellie Bly." Now. Um, The guest is the author, Rosemary J. Brown. Thank you, Rosemary, for being here.
1: It's a real pleasure.
2: We'll see if you say that at the end of the show. (laughs) 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 I'm already
1: having fun.
2: (laughs) Well, that's good. You know, I I I tell you what, you know, the, the, the... best compliment I get is when people can say it made them smile or if they're listening to the show and they actually crack a smile because you know we're talking about subjects that are really important but it's I think it's important to make people smile and become a part of what we're talking about not just be all uptight and formal especially nowadays you know yes so so this is great this is a great book um, very inspiring uh, for, so let's let's tell the audience who you are. So first of all, Rosemary, how did you get into uh, this story, and what drew you to Nellie Bly?
1: Um, I'm a journalist myself, but and I'm also an adventurer, not quite as adventurous as Nellie Bly, but I've always had a, a real respect for. Uh, women adventurers, uh, particularly the ones in Nellie Bly's time and Victorian times, because they had much bigger obstacles to overcome to be able to travel, to be able to have adventures. So I was, um, I often, when I get a chance, maybe on a Sunday afternoon, just going, scrolling through the, through the internet, looking up, topics that I'm interested in, like the female adventures, and I was doing that one Sunday afternoon, and literally, Nellie Bly just about popped off of the screen right at me, um, and the more I got to know her, the more I was captivated by her, because, because she, in 1889, she traveled around the world alone with just a gladstone bag which sometimes in America and Canada it would be called a grip sack but it's no bigger than a bolster cushion and she traveled around the world on her own to beat the fictitious record of Phileas Fogg now when I found that out I thought that was pretty amazing and I was also very shocked that I never heard of her or heard of this amazing accomplishment the more I got to know her the, the more I really liked her and was intrigued by her because not only did she travel around the world faster than Phileas Fogg, but she's also is the inventor of investigative journalism. She pioneered investigative journalism back in 1888 when she went undercover in the New York Women's Insane Asylum to reveal the atrocities that were happening there. So the combination of of the adventure and her strong link to journalism, I really just couldn't say no when I thought about maybe I could follow in her footsteps and bring her back to life again as an inspirational role model.
2: That's great. So now I would imagine this takes a while because um, all of the things you said, um, for a young person today, they're not going to realize how much... Uh, different the world was in 1889. You got even you, you, and especially for a female, uh, and being a journalist and stuff. It, it must have been a very difficult thing for Nellie to 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 accomplish.
1: Well, it was extraordinary because for starters she had to get herself into a newsroom because the newsrooms were male dominated. And they didn't really want women in there. They, if women were in there, they felt they couldn't drink and swear. <laughs> and they also didn't think that women were capable of it. But Nellie proved them wrong. So another reason that I admire her is because she opened the door to journalism to women. Um, she just barged right into that newsroom <laughs> and, and took her place. So yes, it was highly unusual to have female journalists. In that era, women really were pretty much seen and not heard, and they also weren't free to really even to travel the streets she was in New York, but she wasn't really supposed to travel the the visit, walk around New York on her own as a single female, She, she was supposed to have a companion. Um, so you can imagine, here's this woman that bursts into a male-dominated newsroom and then says she's going to go around the world without a chaperone. It was pretty amazing. And also, back then, women's rights were, were not as advanced as they are today. We've still got a ways to go. But um, what I love about Nellie Bly is she didn't really talk about women's rights. She just She lived them. She just lived them. She just did what she wanted to do. She, she broke down barriers. She just sailed over obstacles and didn't let the status quo get in her way.
2: That must have been quite the battle. Because, I mean, um, at that time, um, if, if I'm right, so she wouldn't even be able to vote at that time, right?
1: Oh, no, no, she couldn't vote. And she did uh, do some work with suffragists Um, but she, no, and, and in the, she had a very interesting life that we can talk about later if there's time, but yes, she, she, she didn't have many rights and, um, and, but she, she didn't let that get in her way.
2: Well, what, what did she do then? Like, so, um, well, let's, let's start with her then. So where did she come from and, and where was she raised? Like, why was, um. How did she end up being such a brave person and such a... Uh...
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that because as as part of following in her footsteps around the world and tracing her journey, you know, through all the different continents, at the end of my journey, I went to her hometown where she was born. So I got the true story, which is very interesting. She was born in a place called Cochrane Mills in Pennsylvania, and it was named Cochrane after her father, Michael Cochran. Her real name is Elizabeth Jane Cochran. Um, She had to have a byline name, Nellie Bly, because women weren't supposed to really be working on newspapers, and if they were, they would never use their own name. So she was born in Cochran Mills, Pennsylvania. Uh, The family moved then to Apollo, Pennsylvania, just down the road, and... um, Michael Cochran, who was, had also been named a judge, built a beautiful mansion in Apollo to take his large family to. And, it, and you can still see it, it's, it's there. But um, sadly, shortly after moving to Apollo, Michael Cochran died and he left his family destitute and he left his wife in a very difficult predicament with, with you know lots of children, including Nellie. And they say that the trauma that she went through and the determination she had to build the family back up gave her that spirit. So the family sunk into destitution. They went from living into a beautiful mansion and to having to rent a small house and eventually having to move to Pittsburgh because... It was so difficult in Apollo knowing that the, that the, um, that the father had died. So she had a very tough upbringing, but that upbringing made her a strong, courageous woman, determined not to give in. And to also, it gave her a huge heart for people, other vulnerable people in similar situations, um, children that are ill, children that are orphans, the mothers, poor families, so that the, they say that the death of her father gave her the spirit to make things better for herself, her family, and for all the vulnerable people that she came in contact with.
2: So, was that the um, the the fire that that was lit? Like her father dying, was it? Is that what kind of made through her into being not only a strong leader? for herself and, and any family members, but in society. Like, like what what made her go out and actually think she could jump into a reporter room, a newsroom? You know, like, what made her go that far?
1: She was determined not to um, fall into the poverty trap. And, you know, she was going to make something of herself. She was going to make sure her family was okay. And then that extended to... Um, as I say other people and she was a campaigning journalist and she changed the lives of very many people but it was the fire not not really the um, grief of losing her father but the frustration of f- suddenly finding themselves penniless and she wasn't gonna let that happen
2: so what kinda of work did she did she start with like where, where did she first go out and start making money
1: well, she used to do, oh, um, like she used to serve as a sometimes as a maid. But the the way she got her break, which is very interesting, um, she there she was a, a voracious reader, and she was reading the local newspaper in Pittsburgh, and sh- there was an article about uh, women and the you know really saying that girls and women didn't have many rights and didn't deserve many rights, couldn't they just be calm and stay at home and and be housewives? And Nellie really took against this article, and she wrote a letter to the editor. And when the editor saw the letter and how well it was written, not so much because of the good grammar, but because of the passion and power behind it, he tried to find her, and he eventually did, and that's how she started her newspaper career.
2: I'd imagine, but uh, it must have been tough on her in a lot of ways, not only um, it being a man's world and and, uh, a lot of people not looking at her as an equal or any possibility of it, um, but also as a... um, Did she ever try to have a relationship with anybody?
1: Oh, she got... You mean, uh, uh, yes, she was married in the end. Um, She, yes, I... There's not a lot of information about her personal relationships because she was more interested in, in her journalism that would help other people. But in the end, she did exactly what she said she wanted to do. She married a, a millionaire named oh. Seaman. So her real, she's got quite a few names. <laughs> so her pen name is Nellie Bly. The name she was born with was Elizabeth Elizabeth Jane Cochran, and her married name was Elizabeth Seaman.
2: Well wow. Well, wow. see, she knows what she's doing. She's got... <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> she this she has a a tenacity and a determination that really took her places. And I think maybe today we're losing a bit of that, even pre pandemic, but certainly during the pandemic and post pandemic we we really have kind of sh- our, our comfort zones i believe have, have are shrinking and and, and that's sh- certainly understandable but i'm hoping that this book will be some type of an inspiration, maybe a revelation that even in tough times try to be brave and courageous try to follow your dreams i
2: I, I wonder if uh, do you think that um each generation that comes out, but, uh, you know, there's more rights. Um, there's, there's more of everything going on. Um, but do you think that also spoils each generation that comes out because they don't really realize the struggles that people had, had to go through before in order for it to be that way today?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm so glad you asked me that because that's another part of the reason for the book to let people know that this woman in 1889, and there were others, too, and I've written about them, but not in the book, um, that they actually broke barriers, overcame obstacles to make inap- making our lives easier. Um, and the same here, um, I've got a daughter who was 19 when I did my around-the-world trip and abandoned her. <laughs> uh, um, but anyway, uh, she's always been encouraged to vote because we know what women have to do in England and in America and all around the world to get the vote. Um, I I, haven't, I didn't, certainly didn't have to twist her arm because she would want to do that anyway, but I think we really need to uphold... The giant strides that people have made for us, and if we focus on women, it's the ability to vote, it's the ability to even to have decent jobs. Um, We still don't, in this country, get the same pay as men in England, but um, uh, the the workforce and careers are far more open than it far far more open than in Nellie Bly's day.
2: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like I said, I think a lot of people just take it for granted, Um, each generation a little bit more.
1: Yes, Um, I think that's right. And that's, as I say, another reason why I wanted to get Nellie Bly. I say I want to put her back on the map. I want young people, I want everybody to know what she achieved so they can realize what they can achieve. My main focus at the time when I went on the trip was to help my daughter understand um, what M- Nellie had done, and um, a- as a role model, I wanted Nellie Bly to be a role model, because I think she's a good one, and not just for young women, and not just for women, I think for men and everybody, and the the, the stride she made, we can't take for granted, even, and maybe even especially in journalism, journalism is far better with the with investigative re- reporting where you can actually uncover corruption and and um, get stories people's voices out there that aren't usually heard. so that was a huge stride she made too and that wasn't <laughs> focusing on women that's the journalism that affects everybody the female journalists, male journalists readers, television okay. broadcasters.
2: What kind of stories Radio, you?
1: of course.
2: Oh, well, no, we're terrible. We don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> we're the last insanity, actually.
1: In uh, England, we have great radio. Uh, the, some people don't do anything, you know, don't have any other media because our radio is so good.
2: Well, there you go. Then we, we're, we're heading over there right now. <laughs>
1: yeah, come on. Come on. You're very welcome, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. We're we're on the plane now. No, no covid. Um what what, what kind of writing did she do? Like did do you did you look at a lot of her stories and reporting and do you have any um sort of stories that you thought were really really well done that stuck out for you?
1: Oh yes. Um well her her s- stories that I mentioned earlier that she she spent 10 days in a madhouse on Blackwell's Island, which is now Roosevelt Island. And um, while she was there, she had to pretend that she was mad, and she did such a good job that she was immediately admitted into the asylum, and they weren't going to let her out. And um, her boss was uh, Joseph Pulitzer of the Pulitzer Prize, and he had to send lawyers in to get her out. Um, so, (laughs) So, of course, that story, to me, is Um, iconic. It it really was the beginning of investigative journalism and it really made a difference because after her stories broke um, there were sweeping reforms in in insane asylums and um, uh, huge changes. There's still, of course, (laughs) changes that need to be made, but it really did walk the nation when this information came out. So, of course, that's going to be one of the stories that I would find the most um, meaningful, but she's, she also, the stories I liked the best were the stories that she did campaigning for people that were, um, for, for prisoners, for p- people in workhouses, for people that were in factories and poorly paid, for, um, for mothers that didn't have, um, for, for families that didn't have fathers. All kinds of crusading journalism, which is, I do a little bit myself um, and uh, with, with asylum seekers and refugees here. But So those stories, for me, are, are my favorites. But you'll never guess, when I was preparing to go on my round-the-world trip to follow Nellie Bly, would you believe that the New York world, the microfiche, is on file at the British Library? So I was able to get every story that was written during that trip and a little bit before and after. So I read all of the stories that uh, that she wrote for her trip, and then there were several foreign correspondents for the New York world, and I could get their stories, too, right in the British Library walking distance from my house.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing what you Oh, I was saying.
1: thrilled, uh, really thrilled. I've got them all on my computer because not only could you read them, you could get them photocopied.
2: Yeah, so we've moved a long way. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> you, you probably wonder, you know, what, would, what would someone like uh, Nellie Bly and what would she accomplish in today's day if she was alive, do you think?
1: I'm very sure that she would still be doing campaigning journalism um, and that, uh, that, that she would be fighting for change for the, for the underdog, for the people that don't have voices, for the vulnerable. Uh, for those that are forgotten by society. Um, and now she'd have a much larger platform because there's the social media, there's television, there's, you know, all kinds of ways to get those messages across. And it would not be fake news, <laughs> it would be authentic news.
2: Yeah, well, she she wouldn't be on Twitter, or would she be?
1: (laughs) Uh, um, I I don't, gosh, I really don't know uh, if she would be on Twitter, but somebody would be tweeting her stories, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That would be interesting. She might have had
1: a Facebook page, because I think she was quite good at promoting herself.
2: Oh, well, there you go. Then she probably would. Maybe Instagram. She'd be.
1: Yeah. She... <laughs> <this>. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't much of a photographer. She forgot to take a camera on her round the world journey.
2: Oh, oh. Especially back then, because it's not like you can just look online. and. and
1: no. And so no. that was one of the biggest regrets of her trip, not taking a camera. But I took a camera, so I have lots of photographs so
2: let 's talk about that trip now, so what made her do this trip around the world? Uh, maybe explain that for for listeners
1: yes, of course um, at she was already working for the New York world for Pulitzer um, and every week she had to have a, she had a meeting with her her editor and she needed to bring forth feature story ideas and The night that she decided on on wanting to beat the record of Phileas Fogg, she was tossing and turning in her bed. She had no idea what she was going to say to the editor. She was very stressed out. She didn't know what to do. She couldn't sleep. And suddenly she said, oh, I wish I was at the other end of the world. (laughs) And then she said, hey, wait a minute. Maybe I could be. Phileas Fogg went around the world. Maybe... Maybe, just maybe, if I could do it faster than him, I could write a really good story. And um, so she, she finally fell asleep. She woke up the next morning. She went straight down to the docks where all the shipping offices were. And she, she, she did all the work with um, timetables and discovered that she thought she could circle the world faster than Phileas Fogg. And she went to her editor with the timetables, with, with the proposal, and the editor said, oh, that's a fantastic proposal, great idea. But only a man could do that, Nellie. You can't go. You'd have to have a chaperone. You'd have so many trunks full of clothes that they, it would slow you down. It's not something that a woman could do. Well, you can imagine from what I've told you about Nellie already, she was really angry. Because they also said, that there were two editors, it's just impossible, Nellie, you can't do it. Nellie Bly hated the word, word impossible. So she said, she looked at them and she said, fine, send a man, let the man go around the world. I'm going to the competing newspaper, and let's just see who wins this race. Wow. They, they knew they knew she was right. They had no choice but, but to say if anybody does this trip, it'll be you, Nellie. But then they waited, and in t- almost a year, um, and finally called her into to the office and said, can you leave on your round-the-world trip the day after tomorrow? And Nellie Bly said, I could leave this minute if you like. And so 72 hours later, she was on a ship with one small bag, one traveling outfit that she wore for the whole 72 days. (laughs) And she was on her way on the SS Augusta Victoria. She'd never been on a boat before. And there she was, setting off to travel around the world to break the record that had never been broken even though it was fictitious, and she actually circled the world faster than anybody ever had before.
2: You know, it's interesting. Um, when you say chaperone, maybe explain that, because I, I, I don't think um, a lot of listeners that are only 20, 25 years old really uh, get <laughs> how what, what you mean by when you say she, didn't, she can't without a chaperone. They're probably going she's of age, why couldn't she go? You know what I mean? Like, in their mind, they're thinking, so maybe explain the importance of what a chaperone was.
1: Sure, Um, sure. In Nellie's day, in the late 1880s, women did not travel alone. They didn't even travel alone on the streets of New York City. They had to have a chaperone, someone to look after them, because they weren't capable of looking after themselves. That's what society said, and Nellie Bly was having nothing to do with that. And so, not only did she did she decide did she travel alone in her own neighborhood, in her own city, in her own state? She went all the way around the world alone.
2: Now, during her travels, I read that she uh, met uh, actually met Jules Verne. Do oh, you know anything about yes. that interaction?
1: Yes, that was a really wonderful. And um, I went, of course, because I traveled in her footsteps. I went to Jules Verne's house. Which is now a, a wonderful museum, and it's the very same house that Nellie went to, and there's still traces of her there. They've put um, little... Uh
0: hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. real new user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Framed papers of how she described the house. They also occasionally have actors and actresses come in and re um, reenact the meeting between Jules wow. and Honorine Byrne and Nellie Bly. So, yes, Nellie discovered when she arrived in Southampton in London, which is still to this day a big port, that Jules Verne had invited her to visit him in Amiens in northern France. She thought, oh, how could I possibly say no, but how can I take a risk like that at the very beginning of my trip because it's going to take... They, they did the calculations. She, it was going to be 180 miles out of her way. It was going to involve um, two extra, two nights without sleep, and it was. It. I think it, there were four extra train trips. Which, okay, to, in today's world, big whoop. <laughs> you know, 100, what's 180 miles? But in her day, that was a that was a a big big journey. Anyway, she decided. That she would do it, she could not resist the opportunity to meet Jules Verne, and so she did. She went um, for two nights without sleep, did all the extra traveling. Uh, Jules and Honorine Verne, honoring his wife, uh, were at the station to meet her. And I was at the station as well, and uh, although none of them spoke each other's language, um, Nellie spoke no French, and they spoke no English. They became fast friends there was some type of connection between them and all, and she only really had 30 minutes in their home um but in that time they create they there was um, a friendship that developed um and she uh just before it was time to leave she asked if she could go and see Jules burn's study and Honorine his wife led them up the stairs with candlelight and when she saw his study she was astounded because it's very small and very modest it was smaller than her study at home and um she's so she was very impressed with Jules Verne she liked his um smile she liked his energy And um, she particularly liked Honorine Verne and their dog. They had a dog named Follette. (laughs) And so she had a fabulous 30-minute meeting with them, which which took her way, way off course. But just like all the risks she took, it was a triumph. And to this day, her visit with Jules Verne in 1889, lives on in the Maison Jules Verne in Amiens, France.
2: What was that like, but um, for you guys following her um, around the world? Um, did did you do it the exact same way she did, or?
1: Well, I didn't take my daughter to around the world. Um, she was at university. Um, But I did take her to France, because it's not very far from England, so both my daughter and my husband accompanied me to Jules Verne's home. But after that, I had to leave my daughter at university and my husband at home. (laughs) Luckily, they were relatively supportive. I mean, my husband was very supportive. My daughter really didn't want me to abandon her and didn't think that I should be staying in hostels and doing this, you know, not first class, because she liked the idea of staying in posh hotels. Well, that's not what I was... <laughs> and one of for me, one of the funnest things in the book is I actually included the letter that she wrote to me before I left, and she said, you know, maybe we can do this together, but I want to do it first class, and she said, Mommy, remember, remember, if it's not in a packet, don't smoke it. If it, if the lube's off, don't drink it. <laughs> And she said, "Be be interested, not interesting." So, in other words, l- listen to other people's stories. Don't just tell your own. So, I think her letter to me in the book is quite sweet.
2: She was your chaperone.
1: Yeah. Well, as far as friends, anyway. Yeah, she was my chaperone, my uh, virtual chaperone. What do you What do you
2: think the biggest thing? Um, you learned from this whole uh, doing this book and following Nellie Bly, what do you, What do you, What did you take away that's um, had the most impact you might say?
1: The adventure. I love adventures and the fact that I could do it. Um, that I traveled alone like Nellie Bly uh, with a case which was maybe a couple of inches bigger than hers, so very, very small case. I had a rucksack with wheels, which was very nice. But like her, I couldn't afford to have baggage. What if it got lost? I needed hand baggage, so I had one bag. Luckily, clothes today are much lighter, so I didn't have to wear the same travel outfit the whole time, although I did tend to wear a khaki skirt and a t-shirt and a bandana most of the time, but I had choices um, of my clothing. So um, the biggest thing that I took away from that adventure is the fact that I could do it, that I could travel around the world on my own in safety, meeting different people, having different experiences, and tracking her as closely as I could. So that for me was, it, it felt kind of like if I could do that, I could do anything.
2: you you know what do you what do you think it felt like for her and in her mind though she was a strong uh, woman um because i'd imagine at the time she wasn't married she didn't have a family so she wasn't necessarily feeling support like you get from your family um and back then probably uh everyone looked at her in a negative way especially a woman and no chaperone, and traveling and doing all these things. I'm sure there was a, she was a lot of talk. Uh, uh, yes. So, uh, yes. so I, I just. What do you think it was for? How do you think it was for her in her mind? What do you think? Well,
1: she is such a determined person that there was never there. There weren't very many moments when she wasn't just set on winning the race. She was obsessed with winning this race and she said she'd rather arrive home dead than arrive home late so most all of the time she was just focusing on getting from one place to another and when she got delayed it was if ships weren't arriving on time she was frustrated beyond belief um, very very frustrated So uh, what she got out of it I guess is the fact that she could actually do it, and she did it, and she liked the she liked the fame that came with it. She liked that very much, and also in her, she, I didn't tell you this, but she also wrote a little book about her journey, which is what I used to to, um, to follow it, and along with the newspaper articles and other books by other writers. Um, her book is called "Around the World in Seventy Two Days," and she at the end. She says that she's grateful to all the wonderful people that, that helped her, the kindness that they shared with her. And she said they form uh, a ring around the world. So she felt, I think like me, she felt um, a great sense of the wonder of humanity. And in fact, wh- before she left, she was told that she should carry a gun and that she should take a gun with her. And she said, absolutely not. I expect to be greeted by the world in the same way that I'm going to greet the world. So, I guess I've said quite a bit, but the biggest thing that she got out of the trip was actually winning the race, making some points about women, you know, showing that women could actually do this alone, um, and... And the fame that came with that.
2: Well, you only need a gun through the states. That's <laughs> 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 the rest of the world. She's okay, but you know. You know. <laughs> um,
1: I I'd also like you to know that one of the main reasons I wanted to to do the the travel was to to get Nellie Bly back on the map to get her better known, because nobody had heard of her, and I hadn't, and I was a journalist. And I have to say that there's been a lot of, um, I think I have, not just me, but I think there's a a, a lot more people are aware of her, partly because because there's more of a focus now, particularly on International Women's Day, on strong and powerful women, but also... Um, Google did a doodle of her called um, on her 151st birthday. I wrote to Google and said, "How about a doodle on on uh, Nellie Bly?" And so she was boy that she traveled around the world in 24 hours on the Google doodle. <laughs> and, then, and then, I guess one of the most exciting things for me is that um, on Blackwell Island, which is now Roosevelt Island, they are actually. Uh, creating a very, very special installation honoring Nellie Bly, and it's called The Girl Puzzle. And it's called The Girl Puzzle because that was the name of the first story she ever wrote for the Pittsburgh newspaper. And that story was about um, rights for girls and rights for women. And so The Girl Puzzle installation, I guess it probably would have been finished by now, but we've had the pandemic. But... Please keep your eye out on that because it, it's it's going to take up um, quite a bit of the island, and it's going it's being it's being uh, right now it's being sculpted by um, Prometheus Art by Amanda Matthews, um, and it's it's I can send you a picture of it. It's going to be so neat. It's got Nellie Bly, and it's going to be saying that Nellie Bly. Uh, Nellie Bly told the stories of many people, and now, now Nellie Bly's story is being told. And Nellie Bly's story was a lot about, as I said, dealing with, working with vulnerable people. And this installation will reflect that as well. It'll tell the, the stories of people, um, you know, people that tend to be in, invisible, that don't have a voice. And so look forward to that. I don't know exactly when it's going to come to be, but to me that was almost the culmination of my travels, to know that something like that was going to be um, installed on the very island where Nellie pioneered investigative journalism.
2: Did you get any surprises from doing this this race and this research and all that on Nellie Bly?
1: Oh, surprises? Um yeah, was... yes yes I did um I did because there were certain things that happened on my trip that made me think that maybe nellie Bly was with me because um I got caught in a typhoon in Hong Kong a very strong typhoon level 8 and I was supposed to leave the next day to go to one of the most exciting places that nellie visited which was Canton China which is now called Guangzhou, and if I couldn't get to Guangzhou, to Canton, within 24 hours, I wouldn't be able to go at all, because I had a visa, and the visa was very tight. Um, anyway, so I'm stuck in this, in this typhoon, thinking, oh, for goodness sake, everything, the airports were shut down, even the stock exchange shut down, and I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, could I do this? I can stay here. I can do And then I finally said, well, what would Nellie Bly do? And I said, I know what Nellie Bly would do. And I put on my raincoat, and I walked out the door, and I got myself to the train station, not knowing if the trains to Canton, China would be running from Hong Kong, but would you believe they were? I had the whole station to myself, which was great. I had no problem getting on the train, going through immigration. It was an empty train. It was an empty train. But but would you believe when I went to find my seat, someone was sitting in the seat next to me, who was very nice. Um, it, we had a nice time. And I just happened to look above, above where the racks are, where they keep the luggage. And would you believe he had an exact replica of Nellie Bly's traveling case. It was a Gladstone bag. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I just looked at him, and I guess I went white, and he said, what's the matter? And I said, is that your bag? And he said, yes. And I said, what? (laughs) He said, yes, so, yes, that's my bag, so what's the big deal? I said, um, well, that's the exact replica of Nellie Bly's case, and I just happened to have a photograph of Nellie Bly's case that I kept on my computer, and I showed it to him, and he couldn't believe it either. So, me, 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 me,
2: Oh, there you go. You never know. Um,
1: and there were just times when, when things maybe weren't going the way I hoped they would, and somehow it felt like perhaps... She paved the way for me a little bit, and even to this day, um, I had there were no plans to write a book. I wrote a blog, and it wasn't until five years after I returned that uh, I was approached by a publisher to write a book. And I also could possibly attribute that to Nellie Bly because um, she wanted she wanted a book about her, <laughs> and I was the one that was going to write it. <laughs>
2: And you're going to write it. No yeah, I wrote it,
1: and it's done. It's hardest thing I've ever done, but I, I, I. It was, it was also the most rewarding.
2: Yeah, usually the hardest things are are the best for you, you know, yeah. at the end. Um. So it, 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 that's the big question here. So, um, at, at the end of the day, someone goes out and buys following Nellie Bly, your book, reads it. What is it you want them to get out of the book? What is the most important thing for you or is there a subtext that you want people to pick up other than, you know, the story itself?
1: Yes. Um, And that's why I did the trip and that's why I wrote the book. I want them to be inspired. I want them to be inspired to follow their own dreams, to have their own adventures They don't have to be adventures traveling around the world. They can be an adventure sleeping in a tent in your backyard. I mean, whatever adventure means to you or whoever reads the book, I just hope that the book will make them step further out of their comfort zone than they would normally, that they will be inspired to do something they've always wanted to do or to realize that actually taking risks, I mean, taking risks really can pay off um of course that you have to be sure you're safe but i um, just showing that you can actually achieve your dreams
2: yeah that's true um now do you have a website of your own um dedicated to your book or to nelly bly or
1: yes um it's called following nelly bly and it's um uh, Nellie Bly one two five because because I followed her hundred and twenty exactly hundred and twenty five years after she did her trip I did the trip so it's Nellie Bly it's WordPress Nellie Bly one two five
2: yeah that's great you know we're gonna we'll have that up on our website too when people can find it that listen to they can just do one click or if they need to come back they'll find it.
1: Well, thank you. Um, That's very kind of you. I did it myself, so it's not. There's no. There are no bells and whistles. But I'm hoping that it would be okay to um, put a link to this interview on it.
2: Oh, of course, Of course. How was how was how was it writing? Did you write some of this during the COVID, or was that sort of a struggle for you, or did it? Um.
1: You, well, the fun, The kind of sad thing is that I've kind of socially isolated for about a year writing the book. Um, really focusing on it, and then COVID hit. So i <laughs> so it's in self isolation. Well, not really. I've, I've got my family, but um, for quite some time. And it was a real. Um, I. It was a. I had the same determination as Nellie Bly to to write the book. I've never written a book, but I am a journalist, so I know. I know how. I believe I know how to write, and I hope my readers agree. Um, but I really had to focus on it to get it done. And um, so that was another lesson for me, that if you really do keep at it day after day after day, and even if you don't feel like writing, if you just keep plugging away, it'll come, it'll come, and you'll have the chapter that you wanted to have. It'll take a while, but you can get there. And it's, so that's another lesson that, that I've would that i learned from writing this book.
2: Have you, have, have you seen that? Uh, series, the Netflix series, the Alienist. No. Oh, watch it. Look for. Okay. It. Really, because it 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 it's about this time period, and though the Alienist, of course, was a person trying to be a psychiatrist, which is not what they called them back then, because they didn't consider them real doctors, you know. Uh, but he's he's working with uh, a strong female who's decided to be a journalist in the same oh. same idea it's very well done uh putting in all the parts of what went on in the 1800s that's why i suggested it. it it's right up there so
1: oh i'll, I'll definitely take your advice thank you
2: it, it fits right in with the book so um it's amazing so what do you what do you got planned next are you gonna um do a follow-up or do something different or is this a one-time-only book type thing?
1: Oh, no, I hope not because now i learned so much about writing books. I'd really like to put that knowledge uh, to use. And I discovered another amazing female adventurer in this country, in England. Her name was Celia Fiennes. And in the 17th century, she rode horseback to every county in England. Now that, again, might not sound like much, but there were hardly any roads. And again, she didn't go totally alone, but she was the leader. She she was a woman of means, so she had a couple of servants with her and a dog. But she went, <laughs> she traveled 5,000 miles to visit every county in England because she was curious and she wanted to learn about what was happening there. She was very interested in industry. She was interested in local foods, which is a very trendy thing right now um, in this country. Uh, uh, local foods, you know, local recipes. She um, and and she rode across the lake district. I mean, she, and she fell off her horse many times, and she was accosted by highwaymen. But with a spirit like Nellie Bly, she saw off the highwaymen. And <laughs> so I'm not sure what I'm going to do with her because I can't. Ride across England 5,000 miles on a horse. <laughs> but oh <my. laughs> oh, partly an iron horse, a train, and buses, and also maybe more of a biography, although there's not even a photograph of her, of course, or a, or a portrait, because we're talking about the 1660s till about the 1740s. So it's a very long time ago. But I think Nellie Bly would approve.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, how long did it take you to put together the book then, in all?
1: Probably, well, probably about a year and a half um, uh, writing it. I, I had a blog to start with, so when when I was first approached by the publisher, they said, well, when do you think you could have it done? I said, oh, I'll have it done in three months. Oh, boy. <laughs> 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 you're, you're authors, too, you know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> know that... You really have to put your all into it, it for it to be the, the the book that you that you want it to be. So you know, it's a, they must anyway. Luckily, they when I said, well, no, that's not, that wasn't very realistic. They allowed yeah, me to yeah. extend the deadline, but it took a lot more work than I ever dreamed. Polishing the words, uh, trying to reach deep inside to be able to. Replicate the way I felt or the, or the music or the food or the scenery or picturing Nellie where, you know, picturing Nellie in Canton, picturing Nellie in Hong Kong. It was hardest maybe to picture her in, um, Japan, because she spent a lot of time, well, she spent five days in Japan, and quite a bit of that was in Yokohama, and Yokohama was wiped out by an earthquake after she'd been there, so it was hard to find her there. I have to say, it was also very hard to find her in New York, where she had her career, Uh, although the place that's probably the most meaningful, aside from... Um, What's Left of the Asylum on on Roosevelt Island is Woodlawn Cemetery, where she's buried. And I was able to visit her grave and put 12 white roses on her grave.
2: Well, that's amazing. That's great. It sounds like quite the the journey and uh, a very important story, very important uh, idea. um, Because, uh, like we were saying beforehand, I think that... um, uh, it's good for the younger generation to to become aware of really what others had gone through so that they could have the life that they have today
1: that's a really important message and also for for people not so young um i did this trip when i was 60 <laughs> so uh-huh. you know don't don't <laughs> <laughs> We don't have to become couch potatoes.
2: <laughs> oh, come on!
1: <laughs> you want to be a couch potato? <laughs> no,
2: no, 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 no. But that's, that's a good thing.
1: Do you, are you finding?
2: Um, do you, Do you think that um, is there? Is there people today? This is kind of a harder question to. But there, is there? Is there woman today that you put in the same category?
1: As Nellie Bly? Yeah. Oh yes, um, and I, I love writing about them. Um, there are contemporary female adventurers that have skied across the North Pole. Who you know, uh, uh, we have lots of people, uh, women, and well, of course, men. But we hear about the the men, but we don't hear about the women. And so one of my goals is to get um, the female adventures from the past, but also contemporary female adventures on the map so again as role models um you know they're they are mothers they are uh professionals they are all kinds of interesting women who are um going out there doing adventures that that seem all seem impossible
2: yeah yeah and we don't care about the men anyway right
1: (laughs) yeah i do do, but i do think that they get more attention and i do think in order to inspire uh, particularly young women that they need to know about the, the Victorian travelers or even like Celia Fiennes back in the 17th century. Um, and also the contemporary ones uh, that, that we do hear more about now, um, particularly with things like International Women's Day and features on courageous people. But that's um, something that I'm still pursuing.
2: Well, that's great. Um, the book is fantastic. Um, the book we're talking about is following Nellie Bly, and our guest has been the author, Rosemary J. Brown. Thank you for being on our show.
1: Well, I've had a great time, and I hope that people do enjoy the book and do pick up the inspiration that that the, <clears throat> and a sense of travel uh, that and or whatever whatever their dreams or goals are, that maybe just that by seeing what Nellie did, that and, and against all odds, really, um, that that they'll find that as an inspiration and be able to achieve what they would like to achieve. To find out more about our show, guests or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com.